Open your Bible with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. As we go there, we're preparing ourselves this next week. We have a very exciting conference to look forward to as a church. Make sure that you're a part of that, that, that you really are blessed with us on that full weekend. That um, where it's going to be just so full of messages, workshops, worship, a night of worship, and uh, you want to gather here in fellowship with the body of Christ, so we want to encourage you to make it out and to be here for that as well. But today we're at Genesis chapter 19, finishing off this passage that speaks of the judgment to this depraved society, Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think that the more that we study it, the more that we look at it, we, we see a reflection of the culture that we're living in right now that has turned their back on God that has turned their back on, on godliness, that has turned their back on what the truth is, on, on having integrity. And today, more than ever, even as we study the book of Genesis, it, it shapes our worldview so that we have a biblical worldview, so that we're a, a God-fearing people, that we follow the Lord, that we obey the Lord, that we know how to listen to His voice. Because here we're going to learn a few lessons as to what Abraham was learning about who God is. And I want you to know, this is more than about Abraham. This is more than just Sarah or than Lot. This is about the character of God. I want you to know that tonight. This is about God's character, that He is a holy God, that He is a just God. And because He's holy, because He's just, He must judge sin. If God did not judge sin, then He would not be holy. If God does not judge sin, and notice, He would not be a just God. So it is a part of His nature to judge sin. And here we learned tonight, we've titled the message, The Consequences of Compromise. Would you write that down? The Consequences of Compromise. The reason why we look at this chapter is because we learn God's nature, but we also examine our own lives as to how we're living and following the Lord, that, that tonight we would not be with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. No longer can that be in our lives. But as you see God judge sin, that it would awaken us, that it would convict us, that it would provoke us to walk in obedience. We've heard it be said before that God's word comforts the afflicted. Yes, it does. God's word tonight will comfort the afflicted. But you know what also God's word will do tonight? it would also afflict the comfortable. It will convict the comfortable. Because it's a double-edged sword. It's effective. It's powerful. It's useful. And here God sets a limit to human wickedness. God is righteous. God is holy. He's judging sin. And notice, even if He has not acted yet, know this, in your own life, even if He has not judged yet, He will. There is nothing that will be unjudged by God. There is nothing that, that is covered that will not be uncovered by God. He, he will judge every single wicked intention, even of our hearts and of our minds, because He's a just God. And here you see that happen in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, this, this godless society. Today, as God-fearing people, we need to stand for truth in this godless society that we live in. And in Proverbs chapter 14, 34, we've heard it be said before, righteousness 
exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness is what exalts a nation before the Lord. But sin is a reproach to any people. Today we need to stand for righteousness. We need to stand for life. We must stand for Israel. We must stand for our biblical values. We must stand for the marriage that is constituted by God between one man and one woman. And we see that even in the text that we look at tonight before us in Genesis 19. But you see a man here that was given over to compromise in the consequences that took place in his life. While Abraham was a friend of God, notice Lot was a friend of the world. And today you see that contrast. Abraham was a friend of God. Lot was a friend of the world. This is a perfect example for us that we can't live a double life. You can't live a double life. You can't have a double standard in your life. In fact, we're not called to a double standard. You know what you're called to as a Christian? To a higher standard. To be blameless, to be holy, to be above reproach, without blame. And Lot here wanted to be a friend of the world. He wanted to become comfortable with the world. He wanted to be accepted by the world. It's a very dangerous thing to want to be accepted by the world. In fact, if we are to make a difference in this world, we need to be different from the world. Know that. If, if you want to make a difference in this world, we must be different from the world. In James 4.4, 4, James exhorts the church, adulterers and adulteresses, you've been spiritually unfaithful to God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is exactly what Lot is learning here. As God is judging, God, Lot is learning not to become affiliated or compromised with the, uh, these ungodly relationships. Because what, where was he? He was in Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he was compromising. He was backslidden. You know, there's a danger with being, living your entire life compromising that you end up backslidden as a believer. So you see here three things in the text that we look at. Number one, Sodom's depravity. Sodom's then destruction. And then Sodom's descendants. So let's read here verse 1 of chapter 19 of Genesis. It says this. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my Lord, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. And then he made a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where's the man who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them, and notice this word, carnally. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that tonight you would speak to us through your word, that we would fear you, Lord, that there would be a conviction in our lives, in our heart and mind about the way that we're living before you, God, that we would please you. Not only our actions outwardly, but our motivations inwardly. 
Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that today it would be effective in our lives. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Now notice Sodom's depravity. What happens here is that Abraham was met here with the theophany of the Lord Jesus, a type of Christ in the Old Testament, Christ here making himself known to him in the Old Testament. But not only was he now visiting Abraham alone, but there was two angels with him. At the end of chapter 18, we see that the two angels headed towards Sodom. And Abraham walked them out, but when they arrived there, notice now the two angels came to Sodom. Here we have the confirmation that these two men, these two messengers that were with the Lord Jesus, were angels. These were angels that took on a human appearance. Now just imagine what an angel would look that takes on a human appearance. You can, you can think of a beautiful now person, right? An angel that has taken on a human appearance. But what happens as they arrive at Lot here in verse 1, it says, In the evening Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now I want you to know something specifically here is that to sit at the gate was a very prominent place in the city in ancient times. In fact, if you sat at the gate, it meant that you were a leader. It meant that you had some type of influence. It was like the city hall of the ancient city. And what happens here is that Lot finds himself in a place of influence or prominence or leadership here in the gate of the city of Sodom. This is the brave city. And it just tells us that he has been accepted by them, that he's familiar by these depraved people, that they, he finds himself comfortable or he's condoning their behavior. He is now assimilated. He's become accustomed to this depraved society that now he, he's a leader there. The, the, the weak convictions of Lot here in Sodom. And you find out that because of his weak convictions, notice what happens, that, that none of his friends and most of his family was not saved or spared because of this. So what you see there in verse 1 is that compromise destroys a testimony. Would you remember that tonight? Compromise destroys a testimony. Lot had destroyed his testimony. He had become too comfortable with the world. He had become too, now too associated, too familiar now with the world. He's condoning them. And there he is now sitting at the gate. Do you remember in Psalms 1 where... The psalmist would say, blessed is the man who does not walk, who does not sit, who does not stand in the counsel of the ungodly, who sits in the place of the scornful. Well, here Lot was doing the exact opposite. He was sitting in the wrong place. He, he was accompanied by the wrong people. It's so important that we are very careful as to who we surround ourselves with, that we never become so comfortable in the world that we don't condone other people's sins. Because Lot here is demonstrating that he's walking and he's sitting and he's living in darkness. And just think about what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He would say this, this is the message which we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, notice what it says, if you say you're, you have fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. How can you say that you fellowship with God if your life looks opposite of the lights? 
How can you say you have fellowship with the Lord if you're walking in darkness? In fact, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. But then he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In fact, the the light brings us together in fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all of our sins. You see here that Lot's compromise, now attitude and character ruined his testimony. And this is exactly what the world does to you. Now, I want you to know something, even before we go to verse 2, that that worldliness is not a matter only of this physical geography of where Lot was. It wasn't simply that he was sitting at the gate of the city there condoning the behavior. But it was more than that. It it was the, the attitude of his heart. In fact, Lot was in Sodom. Lot's heart was in Sodom long before his body arrived there. Well, what does that mean, that he was in Sodom or his heart was in Sodom before he actually arrived there? Well, well, you see the progression of this spiritual decline. It didn't just happen all of a sudden that he ended up there comfortably sitting at the gate of the sinful city. It didn't just happen overnight. In fact, it was a spiritual progression of this decline. Now, you notice in Genesis chapter 13, what does it tell us? Genesis 13, that Lot was looking toward Sodom. What was he doing? His eyes were on Sodom. He was looking towards Sodom. And then at the end of chapter 13, towards the end, what does he do? After he looked towards Sodom, then he pitches his tent in Sodom, close to it. Very dangerous where you pitch your tent. Very dangerous where you choose to live, who you're surrounded by. Because he was attracted by Sodom, then he wanted to live close to Sodom, and then in Genesis 14, he moved into Sodom. And the spiritual progression of this decline in his life led to this, to live a carnal life and choose a worldly path. That's why it's very important what kind of friends that we have, where we choose to associate with, that that we would not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, that we would choose a a, a fellowship, relationships, that, that only promote the light of God's holiness, because notice what happened to Lot eventually he was influenced by them. And sometimes we say, oh, you know what? I'm going to win them to Christ. But notice this, that doesn't usually happen. When you surround yourself with the world, in fact, notice the influence and the pressure is so strong in your life, you eventually start to compromise. And now he's going to lose everything when Sodom is destroyed because he looked, he pitched his tent close to it, he moved into it, now he's sitting at the gate. You know what's interesting here about Lot is that he knew the God of Abraham. He knew the God of Abraham, but he had tasted the world when they went through Egypt. And after he tasted the world when they went to Egypt, notice what happened. He never was able to overcome it. He fell in love with the world after he had a little taste of it. And it's so dangerous. You compromise a little, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. What happened to Lot? He went through Egypt. He tasted Egypt. And now he said, now I want Sodom. <laughs> now let me get close to Sodom because I know what that tastes like. I know I've experienced that before, so I want to go back to it. The Apostle John would say the same thing. In 1 John chapter 2.15, he says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it's of the world. You know what Lot had 
happened to him, he started to fall in love with the world. And because of that, he compromised. But it tells us this, that he received them in verse 1. He bowed down to the ground with reverence and respect. He, he knew the truth, but he didn't obey it. Notice. He, he had knowledge of God, but his life denied the power. Did you know that's possible? You can have the knowledge of God and your life denies the power because it's a compromised life. Here he is living outside of God's perfect will for his life because he's living for his own pleasure and not for obedience. So notice what happens that he invites them to spend the night at his house. And it says, and he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that then you may rise early and go on your way. Now, why does Lot here invite them into his house? Because he knows the depravity of that society, what these men are going to try to do to them. He sees them in appearance. He knows that they're guests. And he urges them, come into my house. Let me stay there, that you would stay there. And then in the morning, you could go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. (laughs) This is a very dangerous thing for them to do. So he urges them in verse 3 again, but he insisted strongly. Notice what Lot is doing. He wants to protect them. He says, so they turn in to him and entered his house after he urged them. He pressed them. He insisted. He says, no, you, you have to come to my home and be my guest. And what does he do? He made them a feast, baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they laid down, what had happened? There was only a few hours before they had gone into the city that the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, and all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. The men of Sodom saw these two men that have come in, angels had taken human form, and what happens is that they all all go, they surround Lot's house, and they surround the house here with an aggressive attack against these two men. This was a, a polluted, this was a perverse, homosexual attempt to rape these two men and notice what happens here because they surround the house and notice what they yell out in verse 5 and they call to Lot and said where are the men who came to you tonight where are they bring them out to us that we may know them carnally you see that word right there that we may know them it's that Hebrew word yada which is mentioned also in Genesis 14 or Genesis 4 were described sexual intercourse. And these men here, we know the sin of Sodom was homosexuality and this depravity. It says, where are those men? Bring them out that we would have sexual intercourse with them, that we would now pleasure ourselves fleshly or carnally with them. If you are with us last week, you learned that that word sodomy comes from that word Sodom because that's exactly where this homosexual behavior began. And these men were willing to break every type of principle of morality, of hospitality for their own violent sexual gratifications. Notice what happens. They're openly saying, we want to know them carnally. We want to have now sexual relations with these men. This exactly is a simple behavior that is condemned by God. I want you to know that. Because the Bible speaks about it. The sin, the depravity of Sodom was a sin of homosexuality that is now judged and called out by God, that is an abomination by God. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, you know what it says? It says, for this reason, God gave them, uh, th them up to their vile passions. Freeing the woman exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the woman, burn their lusts for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful or disgusting, abominable. That's what it means. And receiving in themselves the penalty of error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up over to their debased mind or to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting. You know, God has placed the moral law within our hearts. But the sinfulness of the flesh and the pleasures of the flesh was warring against that moral law that was instituted in our hearts and minds by God. And therefore, they had a debased, a reprobate mind. And God gave them up over to that mind that they lived openly this sinful and homosexual behavior. This is a lifestyle that is forbidden by God. And what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9? Don't you know that, don't not, that you would not be deceived that fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extorters will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we live in a time where people want to accept homosexuality. Even in a church, I heard, uh, I saw something through the internet just yesterday of a pastor just congratulating a homosexual stance and their bravery and their courage. And you have to wonder, how is it that you can call yourself a pastor but condone and congratulate something that is against God's word? You can't do that. And here what has happened is that they are giving themselves over to homosexuality. They want to know now these two men. And it says in verse 6, notice, so Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. He wants to protect his guests. And notice what happens. And said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Now you see here that Lot, as he goes outside, he calls them what? My brethren. He's familiar with them. He knows them. But he also knows what they want to do is wicked. He also knows what they want to do is an evil thing that will harm others. And he knows the truth, but he has become so comfortable with them, accepted by them, that they don't care what he has to say. And notice what he says here in verse 7. In fact, he says, please don't do so wickedly. Verse 8, see now I have two daughters who have not known a man. He, was, he had two virgin daughters. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish, only do nothing to these men, since it is the reason that they have come under the shadow of my roof. Now, what, what do you see here? He, Law here, not only had he compromised in character, but throughout it, he had lost every type of moral principle, even in his own life. While living in this dark culture with sinful values, he started to sacrifice his own family at the altar of their lust. Instead of protecting his family, instead of protecting his daughters, what did he do? He wanted to prostitute them now. And he said, here, take my two daughters instead. This is exactly what sin does to us. It makes you weak that you can't even protect those in your own home. And what does he do? He's, his mind is polluted. His mind is perverse now. He's accepting it. It says, notice, he's trying to reason with them. He says, no, don't come and take these men. In fact, take my daughters instead. You know one of the things that we need to learn
to do, especially in the wickedness of the world that we live in, that we would not try to reason with the mob, <laughs> that we would not try to reason with the world, that we would be men and women with a spiritual backbone, with strong convictions, that we would hold to what is right, that we would say, no, that is sin, and we're standing up for what is truth. And we're not accepting that in our lives. We're not accepting that in our home. We, we will stand for truth. But notice what these men do of Sodom in verse 9. It says, and they said, stand back. They had no respect. In fact, they were so inflamed and insistent with this carnal pleasure and passion that they wanted to fulfill and satisfy. And, and notice what they do here and what they say to Lot because it says, and they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. You, you being a foreigner, Lot, you being a stranger, do you think you can come and be a judge? Do you think now that you, you can come and tell us what to do? Do you, do you think that you can really come in and stand in our way? Notice, they didn't respect any type of his moral or spiritual leadership. Because first he said, don't do this wicked thing. Please stop. In fact, take my daughters instead. And notice, they said, get out of our way. Stand aside. They had no respect for him because he had not demonstrated any godly character before that. In fact, they threatened him in verse 9. And notice what he says. Now we will deal worse with you than with these men. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. What do they say? If you don't stand our back, if you don't get out of our way, what's going to happen? Is that we're going to treat you worse than we would treat these two men. They were demanding. We're going to satisfy our godless flesh that we want to right now. This, this, this stranglehold that they had of homosexuality. Notice what happens. It takes over someone's life. And then it produces anger. It produces this arrogance. It arouses the sinful pleasures in every type of direction that here it would say this very clearly. He says, you know what? We, we are going to break down this door now. And in verse 10, it says that the angels had to intervene. And they intervened here this way, but the men reached out their hands. And what did they do? They pulled Lot into the house with them. And what did they do? They shut the door. <laughs> they grabbed Lot. They pulled him in. They shut the door now. And not only did they do that, but it says, and they struck the men that were in the doorway of the house with blindness. So they stopped them, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Notice what, what they did, how repulsive their behavior was that even after having been blind, what were they doing? They were still trying to get in. But it tells us here specifically in verse 11 that they couldn't find the door and they became weary now. This behavior that leaves no room for restraint. They were, they, they were unrestrained. Their, their physical blindness, notice what's happening, it's actually matching their moral blindness now. And now they're blind completely. But notice... As you see this depravity, let's look at Sodom's destruction in verse 12. Because you see, then the men said to Lot, these angels that were in this house now, they're going to give him a warning, not only to him, but the warning is to his family. And I pray that we would receive this warning, not only ourselves personally, but this warning would be to our families as well. That we would stand for righteousness, that we would stand for truth. And notice what he says here, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? In fact, what he's saying, is there anyone else that lives in your home? Think about the people that live in your home that need to know about the truth. 
Because here the men are saying, who else is here in your home? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place. I want you to circle that in your Bible, take them out of this place. Because he's saying, I, I want you to be serious about your son-in-laws. I want you to be serious about your daughters. And they need to get out of this place now because this place is about to be judged. You know what he's telling these angels are telling Lot? Protect your family. Stand in the gap for your family. In fact, notice what he says in verse 13, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Why is it that you should protect your family and get them out of this place? Because we're, we're going to destroy this place. The outcry has been great before God. That Their sin of Sodom is screaming to God, this outcry. It's begging for God's judgment at this point. It, it, is, it is not avoided anymore. It must be judged before it spreads any farther. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So in verse 14, it says, So Lot went out. And notice what happens here. He went out and spoke to his son-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, get up and get out of this place. <laughs> How many fathers would like to tell their son-in-laws that, right? Get out of my house. That's exactly what he tells them. He says, I, I, I want you to know the truth. You have to get up, and you need to get out. Why do you need to get out of this place? For the Lord will destroy this city. Now, this is sad because all of a sudden, Lot wants to be a spiritual leader. And all of a sudden, now he wants to talk about the Lord. But before he was compromising, more than likely, with his son-in-laws and with his daughters and with his family. So now when he wanted a witness to them, guess what happens? There's no power. You know, it's sad to say and to see how parents oftentimes compromise or allow compromise in the home. So when they want to witness to their children, there's no power. And you ask yourself, why? Why is it that my life is not being useful? It's because you've allowed the compromise to already take place. You know what needs to happen is that you need to stand for righteousness and truth. So when you talk about the Lord, there's power behind it. And notice what happens here. In fact, he says, the Lord is going to destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, notice what it says. He seemed to be joking. They didn't take him seriously. You know what they thought? This is a joke. <laughs> Not only were they thought this was a joke because Lot's life had no power, but because they were desensitized to sin. They fit in to Sodom now. They, 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 they loved their lifestyle that they lived in. They, they were comfortable in the city, the sinful city here. They, they, they loved to fit in to the things of that were taking place there, the, the, the abominable actions. And they didn't understand, they couldn't see what Lot was saying. You know, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5, it says, evil men don't understand justice. They were compromising their character themselves. But those who seek the Lord understand all. They were blind to the truth. And they didn't believe Lot. Notice what happens. They, they thought this was a joke. In fact, notice that word. They thought he was joking. I pray that today you would not take God's warning as a joke. That this is not a joke. Notice this. You cannot play games with God. Notice, you can't play games 
with God. Take the warning seriously. The Lord is saying that he's going to judge sin, that he will not allow you to continue to live in sin. This is exactly the warning. Get out of here. God does not want to allow you to continue to live in sin. Get out. And notice this, what happens, that, that Lot could have been rescued, and you see that he will be rescued, but you know what his life accomplishes? Nothing. And we look at his life, and notice what you see, that you can have a saved soul, but a wasted life. Think about that. Having a saved soul, but wasted life, that your life didn't even count for any kind of spiritual, meaningful things. And this is exactly what happened to Locke here, that he lived his entire life in carnality, a carnal believer. He, he was living for compromise always. In fact, notice verse 15, what happens next. And when the morning dawned, the next day, the angels urged Lot to hurry. This is exactly how we should be with those people in our home when it comes to telling them the truth. We should be urgent about it. We should, we should look with a heavy heart about it. In fact, notice what it says. He urged Lot, I, I want you to know that you would not delay, that you would not procrastinate, that you would know that if you don't accept Christ Jesus, this judgment is going to come upon your life. That, that if you don't now get right with God, you will be consumed by his judgment. And notice what happens here. They urge Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Get out. But notice what he says. Take your wife and your daughters. He didn't mention the son-in-laws. <laughs> now, notice why he didn't mention them. Because they didn't take the warning serious. They didn't believe. And because they didn't believe and they didn't take the warning serious, notice what they were they were left behind. It's so important that the people in our homes see a true Christian witness so that when we witness to them, they believe what we're saying. And then they're not left behind. And notice what happens here. He hesitates. Lot hesitates after having seen the warning, heard it himself, but by these two angels. Notice what happens here in verse 16. And while he lingered... And I want you to underline that there in Scripture. Because they urge them to hurry. Get out right now. They urge them first thing in the morning. Don't procrastinate. Don't delay. And you know what happens to Lot? He hesitates. Maybe right now God is telling you to not procrastinate, to not delay, to stop living in sin, to give up that thing that, that maybe you're holding on to in your life that you know that doesn't honor God, but instead of giving it up, instead of surrendering it, notice you're holding on to it. You're hesitating. You're hindering. You know what this demonstrates only, what this validates? That, that the backslidden condition of a person demonstrates itself in the lack of urgency to obey God when they know that's what God has said. When, when you're living in a backslidden life, you know what's going to happen? You will not be urgent to do what God has told you to do. And, and what had happened a lot? He didn't want to leave. He couldn't let Sodom go. He says, no, I, I still want to hold on to Sodom. I love Sodom. See what the Lord oftentimes has to do when we don't want to let go? He has to then take us out. And he'll take us out by different types of means because he loves us. 
Sometimes we don't want to leave. Sometimes we want to be stuck in sin. Sometimes we want to continue to compromise. So God has to come and discipline us or bring us out because he's merciful to us and because we haven't obeyed. So in verse 16, you see that that's exactly what these angels do. It says, so the Lord being merciful to him, notice how God is so merciful. Even while he's hesitating, he's compromising, he's resisting, he's procrastinating his obedience. Notice what the Lord does here. The Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. What did they do? They grabbed him by the hands, and they pulled him out. They dragged him out of that place of judgment. In fact, what they're doing is they're doing all they can to take him out of the place of judgment, the place of sin, and set him out of the city, him and his wife and his daughters. What does God do? He removes him. He does. These angels do everything possible to warn them, to tell him, and then to physically get him out before they're judged with the wicked. The law here was in the worst possible place that a person can be. You know why he's in the worst possible place that a person can be? It's because he had too much of the world in him to be happy in the Lord. But he also had enough of the Lord in him to be unhappy in the world. He didn't have a place anywhere. <laughs> and in verse 17, it continues here. It says, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, notice, escape for your life or run for your life now. Get out of here. Again, another warning. Do not look behind you. Here's the, uh, the warning explained. Nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. This is what the Lord tells you. He's so merciful. And if you don't want to listen, you hesitate, he'll bring you out. He'll drag you out by the hand and get you out and tells you, all right, now run, look, and keep going, and don't look backwards. Don't slow down. Don't stop anywhere. Don't be distracted. Just get out of this place of sin. Now, these are the same instructions in verse 17 that we have to live by as Christians. You know what, it, what the instructions is as believers here? We must flee the world, not looking back, not thinking about regrets or longings of what could have been our life in the world. Because he says, run, escape from the world, escape from the sin, and don't look back. But notice how specific it is here. Don't look back. And then again, he says it again. Escape, run to the mountains so that you're not destroyed. <laughs> you see, there are consequences for looking back at the world. You know what happens? You begin to compromise. So he says, I I've delivered you, but now I don't want you to look back. And I want you to know that God's delivered you, but he's told you to run and not look back. Don't look back. He's already delivered. He's been merciful to you, just like he's merciful here to Lot. He's been so gracious to pull you out of bondage even when you were living a life of compromise as a Christian. And he says, go out and don't look back. But notice what Lot now responds the same way that we oftentimes respond as well. God has been so merciful. And notice how he responds in verse 18. Then Lot said, please, no, my Lord. <laughs> how many times has the Lord done something he's told you to do to obey? And no, you say, please, no, Lord, no. That doesn't make sense. You can't say the word no and Lord at, in the same sentence. And I want you to know that you cannot say the word no and Lord in the same sentence. If you, if, you, if you call him Lord, everything he says 
should be yes. Because it means that he's in charge, that he's your master. And he, he says two things. Notice th this attitude of insubordination. That this carnal resistance that God is saying, flee before I judge the city and you're in it. And sometimes we say the same thing. We have this insubordinate attitude, this carnal resistance. And we say, no, Lord, like, like you think your plan is better than his. It's not. He, he's begging here for mercy. And, and notice how he explains this in verse 18. He, he said, please, Lord, my lords, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. Lord, I understand that you've done all this for me. And he says our next favorite word, we resist God's will for our lives, but... Those are two words that when we come to the Lord, we should take out of our vocabulary. No and but. Lord, yes, you have been so good, but I still want to satisfy my flesh. Lord, yes, you have been so faithful to me, but I still would like to do it this way. Lord, this is still my plan. Would you still allow me to satisfy my flesh just in a little way? Because this is exactly what this carnal believer Lot was doing. He was saying, no, Lord, I don't want to go there. I know what you've done in my life, but would you just allow more room so that I don't go to the mountains and I can go somewhere else instead? You know what Jesus said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Why is it that you call me Lord, but when I tell you to go, you say no and but? We have to be very careful that we don't come to the Lord in prayer or we don't Come to the Lord to fellowship with him with those words, no and but. Because God knows better than we do. And you know what those words, no and but, demonstrate? A carnal resistance in our hearts. You know what they sound like? Insubordination. We need to surrender to everything that God has for us so that we would say, Lord, wherever you want for me, I want to surrender. I want to obey. I want to please you. And notice what he says in verse 20 as he continues. He says, I cannot go to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now this city is near enough to flee to. And it's a little one. Please let me escape there. It's only a little one. And my soul shall live. Now I want you to know verse 20. This is, we never remember this when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah. But there were other cities that were judged. It was a total of five cities. You know what, you know what he's saying? Would you let me go to the small city? Let me escape there. It's, it's near enough. Very dangerous to try to be near enough. <laughs> we want to be near enough to the world while still being in the will of God. It doesn't work that way. Lord, this city, and it's just small, Lord. It's just a small city. It's not a big deal. You know what was taking place in that city? Also sin, also homosexuality, also this rebellion and this darkness. Rather than being in isolation in the mountains, you know what he's saying? Let me just move to another small place of sin. And sometimes we say to the Lord the same way. Lord, let me, let me move on to just instead of a small area of compromise. It's, it's near enough, Lord. And we would say, you know what, how close can I get to the world while still being right with God? And the Lord is saying, I want you to get as far as possible from the world so that you can be right with me. So notice in verse 21, it would say here, and he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for you have spoken. What does it tell us that 
God's intention was to overthrow it. But here is God's grace on Lot's life again. All right, I'm not going to overthrow it. I'll let you choose so that you can go there because you have made a choice. He granted his request. And notice what he says in verse 22. Hurry, escape, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. This is the character of God here. I want you to leave now because I can't do anything to Sodom until you leave. Until the righteous are removed. God would not violate his promise. And notice what happens here. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. This is where you see God's grace still upon Lot. That even when he's saying no, even when he's saying but, God is still being so gracious. And he's unwilling. He's sparing the righteous. He's unwilling to judge Sodom until they're fully gone. This is why we hold to a free tribulation rapture. This is one of the texts in the Old Testament that support the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture, that we know God will rapture his church and then the tribulation period will begin afterward. Why? Because it is God's character to not destroy the righteous with the wicked. You see it in Noah's life. You see it here in Lot's life that he will remove the righteous before destroying the wicked. This is God's mercy here. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, in fact, would you write this down? 2 Peter 2, 7, it says, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Ashes, notice. Condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And deliver the righteous law who had oppressed by filthy conduct of the wicked. What did he do? He delivered him. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver the righteous from the day of judgment. This here shows us the character and mercy of God protecting the righteous and sparing them before he judges the wicked. And in verse, notice, 22 it would say, and the name of the city was called Zoar, which is, means little or insignificant. This is where he goes. But it tells us here in verse 23, and the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. And the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Notice the judgment of God. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground, everything was judged by God. But something happens here as he's overthrowing the, the city. Notice, they had experienced deliverance once already Sodom from the kings that came to oppress them, but they went back into the sin. They, they had received mercy. They rejected mercy. So now they were judged now on final by God. And in verse 26, notice what it says, but his wife, Lot's wife, looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The sad story that happens oftentimes in the life of a Christian, that they're walking in one direction, having been delivered from the bondage of sin, and notice what they do, they look back. That, that word look back, it means that she lagged behind, or she looked intently back at the world, or she returned back. She was reluctant to leave. 
because her heart was still in the city. Her heart was still in the sin there. And what happened? She became a pillar of salt. She was paralyzed by looking back. I I want you to know this. Even for us today, as we're seeking to pursue God's will, that you can't grow, you can't advance if you're always looking back at what God delivered you from. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. We need to look forward as to what God is doing in our lives now. We need to follow his leading. Looking looking back is is, is dangerous. You know what? It leads to backsliding. You can't say you're taking steps forward if you're always looking back at that which God delivered you from. And this is exactly what we're learning here, that, that, that we need to look forward to our final deliverance in God instead of looking back at the the passing world that is ripe for judgment that God took us out of. In fact, God uses this verse in Scripture as Jesus himself says, remember Lot's wife, Luke 17, 32. He refers to Lot's wife. When talking about making a full commitment to follow Christ Jesus, he says, remember Lot, she didn't make a full commitment. She tried to hang on to her life. She tried to, to, to look back at what she was now letting go of. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Today you seek to save your life, to hold on to it, the pleasures of the world, what is going to happen? You'll lose it. But whoever loses his life will what? Preserve it. If you surrender your life, notice, you'll gain it. We should not have a heart that longs for the corrupt, passing desires of this world. What was she doing? She was looking back. I, I, what, am I, what did I miss out on? Or well, what are the things that my friends are still doing back there? We're oftentimes thinking, what could my life look like if I were still living in the world? Don't look back to try to dabble with the things that God delivered you from. What does it do? It paralyzes you from going forward. That was the end of Lot's wife right there. Why? Because she was looking back. And both husband and wives, both man and woman, today we have to be looking forward and not backward at sin. So it says in verse 27, And Abraham went in early the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And notice what Abraham saw. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and through all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like smoke of furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. Notice, God is remembering Abraham. This is God's mercy. And he sent Lot out of the midst to overthrow, and when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. What did the Lord do? The Lord listened because of Abraham's sake and delivered Lot as Abraham was praying. Lord, would you just deliver, even if there were 10 righteous in the city, God delivered them here. He delivered Lot. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, I want you to go back and read that even tonight. It talks about how the coming of the Lord is going to be the same as it was in the days of Lot in Sodom as they were destroyed. It would say even this, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, uh, on the day that Lot went out of Sodom and and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. The, The same type of lifestyle. And notice what happens in verse 30. Then Lot went out of Zoar... And he dwelt in the mountains. This is interesting. The Lord says, go to the mountains. He says, no, I'm scared to go to the mountains. Let me go to Zoar. 
Then he goes to Soar, finds out that he's scared to live there. So he says, yeah, I should go to the mountains instead. It's exactly what God said in the beginning. <laughs> so he ends up leaving Zoar. He goes to the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, and he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave in the mountains. What happens here that his daughters conspired a work of the flesh because they were fearful, thinking that the lineage of their father would die there because their mother had died and been judged in sin and they had no one to now have children with. And it says, now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there's no man on earth to come into us or that we would have sexual relations with as it is the custom of all the earth. Notice, come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him and we will preserve the lineage of our father. They conspire a plan here now. A work of the flesh. Why? Because they were never taught to walk by faith. Notice what happened. His daughters start to make up a plan, a sinful plan, because they were never taught to walk by faith. You know what happens? This is what happens when you let the world raise your kids. You know who was raising his two daughters? Sodom was. You let, the, you let Sodom raise your kids today. You let the world raise your kids. This is what's going to happen. They had no morality. It had corrupted their thinking, being in lots. It was immoral what they were thinking. And notice what it says, let's get our father drunk and that we may have kids from him, this incest. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know what, that she had laid down with him and, and when she arose and it happened on the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night, let us make him drink wine tonight and that you may go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father both of them conspiring of the flesh and notice what happens then they made their father drink that night also and the younger arose and lay with him he did not know when she lay down where she arose thus both the daughters of lot were with child by their father notice the sin from sin to sin from compromise to compromise because they, he would not, Lot would not be a spiritual leader. So because he wasn't a spiritual leader, there was compromise in the home. There was sin in the camp. No matter where he went. And notice that sometimes we think, well, I'm going to move from one place to another. If your heart doesn't change, then your life's going to be the same. His life was the same. And notice what it says. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son, and called his name Ben Amnon. He's the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Now, you see what happens here? These two sons, these descendants of Lot, the descendants of Sodom, who, who were they here? They, they were known as the Moabites and the Ammonites. And you know what's interesting about this? That, that these descendants of Lot, the fruit of what came out of Lot, notice what happens. These were enemies and obstacles of Israel. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Just like Ishmael, a work of the flesh, was an enemy of Israel. Lot's life ended with ruin from the past to the present, even to the future, that the Moabites and the Ammonites, all because of his love for the world, all because of his love for compromise, always now then, his entire future was known, was represented, had the reputation of living for the world and a life against the spirits. You know what the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 2, as we close in prayer? And do not be conformed to this world, 
will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They may prove that which is a good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. We don't want to compromise. You know what our lives should prove? The good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, God has a perfect will for your life. And the only way to know that perfect will is when you go and you lay your life on the altar and say, Lord, I surrender. I don't want to live a life of compromise. I want to live a life of obedience to you. Amen? Let's stand and pray.